Happy Monday out there, and welcome to Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope. Today's episode will be shorter than the last one. The one over the weekend was on homeschooling or schooling at home during coronavirus. Lots of tips and tricks and the reasons why homeschooling might be a great option for your family or might not. Regardless, the tips and tricks do help to be as successful as possible during this time period when we really don't have a choice but to be schooling and working remotely. That one went a little bit long because I had so much to say on the topic of homeschooling. Today's episode will be short. We're going to go over some myths about coronavirus, and hopefully this can help to dispel some fears. But first, I hope that each of you and all of you had a really pleasant Easter weekend. I love archetypes. Archetypes are major themes that seem to be true almost universally down through human history. One such archetype might be the idea of two people falling in love, or the ideas of good versus evil, or perhaps the archetype of the hero or the heroine who saves the day. All of these are themes throughout literature and throughout history that we can relate to because they kind of get to the core of what it is to be human. So what would an archetype for Easter be? Well, it's a time of new life and hope beyond the grave, and I think that is especially appropriate this season, so I hope your weekend was fantastic. We have lots that we can look forward to, and Easter weekend got me thinking down this line, so here are a few that I came up with. Maybe you have some others. I am looking forward to new spring growth, life, sunshine, flowers, bursting into our reality, new life, vibrant health. I am also looking forward to antibody tests, allowing immune people to re-enter whatever the new normal looks like. Also, the recovered cases growing in numbers such that we have more recovered cases than active cases. We're headed that way. Those are the current trends. We will get there. The problem is that the more testing we do, the more active cases we find, and it takes a while for an active case to become a recovered case, so it will eventually happen. The number of recovered cases is growing significantly, and that's my favorite number right now. Looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to flattening the curve. There are some curves that are starting to flatten. For instance, the number of new hospital admissions in New York per day, that is flattening. They're slowing way, way down, as they have also in Italy and in Spain. There are places now that were the hardest hit that are starting to see improvements. We have not yet flattened the curve for the spread of the virus, but I do believe that that is largely due to the increased testing that we have now. As we test more, then we will see more cases. It doesn't mean that the virus is spreading that quickly. It's a really difficult metric to measure. Flattening the curve, that's a bit of a tough one, but someday we will see it. The curve of new cases is going to flatten, and that will be a day to celebrate. And ultimately, I'm looking forward to how wonderful it will be when the coronavirus outbreak is over and we can start the dance of cautious normalcy. It's coming. I don't know how soon. I don't want to get our hopes up quite yet. It's still a little premature, but hey, we have things to look forward to. I have used Gunnison County, Colorado as a bit of a case study because I think it is interesting being kind of an isolated mountain community 
Also, Gunnison County may be somewhat typical to represent small communities across America or around the world. So some of the local issues that we're looking at could be parallel to what's going on in your community. Real briefly, just some updates about Gunnison County. There's been a bit of a ruckus about the County Health Department's order for non-resident homeowners to stay away from Gunnison County. And I get it. This was pretty controversial. Matter of fact, the Attorney General of Texas contacted Gunnison County arguing that this order may be a step too far and even unconstitutional. And then lawyers from Gunnison County filed a response. I won't go into the details, but it is very controversial. If someone owns property and then they're asked not to come to the property that they own. But there are some somewhat unique reasons for that, which I thought I would list. This is what Gunnison County said about the public health order. Number one, safety. Gunnison is a poor choice to weather this storm, given the huge impact higher elevations have on this respiratory illness, especially for individuals who are currently living at lower altitude. That probably is the best reason for people to stay away from the high mountain valleys of Colorado right now, because it takes up to a month to acclimate to the altitude at these elevations, and during that time, you are not getting the oxygen that your body needs to be completely healthy. So if you were to, God forbid, contract the illness, then you're going to need all the oxygen you can get, especially if you are one of the rare cases that is more severe. Number two, Gunnison Valley Hospital has limited capabilities in caring for the critically ill patients, and it really is a small hospital with somewhat limited resources. The serious cases in Gunnison County are being transported to other hospitals around the state, which is not only expensive, but ties up the resources of the EMTs and other medical staff. There is significant community spread of the novel coronavirus, COVID-19, across the state and the nation. Here's one for you I found very interesting. The fourth point from the GunnisonCounty.org. 30% of the public appear as asymptomatic carriers. Let me say that again. 30% of the public appear as asymptomatic carriers. The state of Colorado, as well as the Centers for Disease Control, are calling for a time of isolation for each community. I think the main point here is that one out of three people in the United States may have COVID-19 and not know it yet. And during that time period, when you don't show any symptoms, maybe you never will. You maybe never get sick enough to notice. You can still be contagious and spreading the disease. Social distancing matters. But another thing that comes out of that, if it's true that one out of three people in the United States may be asymptomatic carriers, that means that we could have over 100 million people in the United States who have coronavirus. You know, we've been saying for a long time on the show that we don't know how many people have coronavirus, and that's what skews all of the numbers so much. We don't know what the death rate is. We don't know what the survivability rate is. We don't even know what percent of people actually have more severe cases because we don't know how many people have the virus. But now they're saying up to 30%. Wow, that's a lot. That is one more reason why I am really looking forward to widespread use of the antibody tests. That could mean that up to 30% of the population of the United States already has or soon will have immunity to the coronavirus. That would be fantastic. Another very important point that was made by the Gunnison County Health Department was that Gunnison County views all people as valuable and equally valuable. Non-residents, residents, non-resident non homeowners, 
visitors, tourists, we love you all. The problem is we're in the middle of an epidemic right now. And being at altitude when you haven't already been at altitude is not a good idea if you are experiencing the illness of COVID-19. Here's another issue in Gunnison County that I think is really important. If you are from Gunnison County, listen up. If you're not, perhaps you're experiencing something similar in your area. What about the trails? I see this as perhaps the second big issue for Gunnison County health orders right now. There have been threats to close the trail systems around the county because of groups of hikers or groups of bikers on the trails or even congregating at the trailheads. The challenge is in the numbers. A group in Gunnison County is defined by the public health orders as more than one person that don't live in the same house. They don't live at the same residence. So this is kind of a tricky deal. My three sons and I love to mountain bike. We do live in the same house, and we do need the exercise. So we travel to the trailheads together to go biking. Well, it looks like four of us in one car, right? And then when we get out and take off, people see a group of four going biking, which would be breaking the public health orders. However, we do all live in one house, so it's not breaking the public health orders. But the authorities aren't asking us if we're from the same house. And maybe that's good. It's better if all the citizens of Gunnison County and the United States and citizens of wherever you are around the world, it's better if we can participate in self-enforcement of these health orders. If we have to get legal authorities involved, it's going to get nasty really quickly. So anyway, I think this is a big deal because whether you've been getting out for exercise or not, I think it's one of the key things that's important to be doing right now within the public health orders that have jurisdiction in your area. Closing public spaces used would have a huge negative impact. People need movement and exercise and fresh air and sunshine and open spaces for physical, emotional, and psychological health. I just think it's critical right now. The sooner that we have antibody tests, the better. And I say that because that may allow us to do even more of that. But in the meantime, people, please spread out. Don't even park your car near other cars. While you may arrive and leave at different times and never be close to each other, the cars parked near each other send a red flag to the authorities. What if you did approach your vehicles at the same time? The group rules and the six-foot rules would be violated. So for everyone out there, I hope you are getting out daily for movement, sunshine, and fresh air. You need to be doing this, but stay spread out. We certainly do not want to lose access to our open outdoor spaces. Now, here's a little tidbit that I picked up today that I thought might be helpful. You know, we've been hearing things about the novel coronavirus. We've been hearing coronavirus. We've been hearing COVID-19. And there's also this SARS-CoV-2. So what does all of this mean? Well, obviously, these are all ways to refer to the, the current epidemic that we're facing. However, these terms do mean something. Okay, so from the World Health Organization, the disease is called coronavirus disease or COVID-19. COVID stands for the CO is corona, the VI is for virus, and the D is for disease. So COVID is coronavirus disease, and 19 was the year it was discovered, 2019. That's what COVID-19 means. So what is the official correct name for the virus itself? It is SARS-CoV-2. 
COV-2. And SARS, which you may remember from 2003 when we had the original SARS epidemic, was Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. And since this is the second SARS-type outbreak, they are now calling this SARS-CoV-2. Oh man, it's so confusing. So I guess generically we can say coronavirus, right? Or we could call the disease officially COVID-19. We can call the virus officially SARS-CoV-2. Does that help to straighten it out? It's a little bit confusing, isn't it? Let's spend just a minute on the numbers today. I always want to provide an update, but I'm not going to do a deep dive or an analysis much like I have done on the other episodes. I just kind of want to skip to the good stuff today. Coronavirus cases that have been recorded around the world are 1,878,000. That means at the current rate of new cases being reported, we are going to break 2 million in just a couple days. Recovered cases, 436,000. Yahoo, I'm rooting for that number. I can't wait for the recovered cases to be larger than the active cases. Right now, the active cases are 1.3 million. So the total cases, 1.8, the active cases, 1.3. So we still have quite a while before the active cases could approach the 2 million mark. The United States is leading the planet for total cases, as well as for the biggest increase in new cases. Once again, the United States, the third most populous nation on Earth, should have a lot of cases when compared to other countries. We have also had the most aggressive testing campaign of any other nation on Earth, so we probably know more about the actual state of our population. We've done nearly 3 million tests now in the United States, which I say is fantastic. So what are the numbers here? 560,000 total cases. That's 505,000 active cases. We're finally seeing the total recovered number start to climb. We're at 32,600 total recovered, which is good news. It still will be a couple more weeks before that number starts climbing significantly just because of the duration of the illness. Again, nearly half of those illnesses are in the New York City metropolitan area. That's New York and New Jersey. They're nearly half of the illnesses in the whole United States. People send them some love. New York and New Jersey still having a hard go of it. Massachusetts is coming in third now with 25,000 cases. Michigan fourth with 24,000. Then we go to the West Coast, 23,000 in California. Back to the East Coast, we have Pennsylvania at almost 23,000. And then the numbers scatter across the nation. Illinois, 20,000. Louisiana, 20,000. Florida, almost 20,000. Texas, almost 14,000. Georgia, 12,000. Connecticut, 12,000. Washington State, 10,000. If I haven't listed you yet, it's because you're less than 10,000 cases in your state. Colorado, 7,303. But here's the funny part. If the information that the Gunnison County Health Department had that 30% of people could be asymptomatic carriers, then these numbers are really, really small compared to the reality out there. It's going to be a long time, folks, before we have enough tests done that we can actually find out what the true numbers really look like. But it's good to know what we know at this point in time. So that's why I do the numbers. Oh, and by the way, I use worldhealthameters.info for the numbers. They seem to be doing a very good job of keeping track of what's going on around the planet. 
Now, as promised, myths about coronavirus. Maybe we can settle some fears by answering some of the questions that are out there. This comes from LiveScience.com. Myth number one, face masks can protect you from the virus. Well, maybe this isn't such a big myth, but there seems to be a lot of confusion out there. Standard surgical masks cannot protect you from SARS-CoV-2, as they're not designed to block out the viral particles and they do not lay flush to the face. So why are health departments beginning to recommend that people wear masks in public in the United States? Well, the reason is the surgical masks can help to prevent infected people from spreading the virus further. So it's really out of respect for others. If 30% of the people in the United States are asymptomatic carriers, then you don't want them to cough or sneeze on you, right? Well, the mask blocks those respiratory droplets that could be expelled from their mouths. So when you're wearing a mask, it's a courtesy for other people. It's not really doing that much to keep you from getting sick. Another myth. You're way less likely to get this than the flu. Well, not necessarily. To estimate how easily a virus spreads, scientists calculate its basic reproduction number, which is the R number, which I spoke about on previous episodes, or sometimes it's called r naught. It predicts the number of people who can catch a given bug from a single infected person. The r naught value for SARS has been bantered around a little bit. It's kind of hard to really know what it is, but a number that's being used frequently in the models is about 2.2, which means a single infected person will infect about two others. By comparison, the flu has an R-naught of 1.3. Another myth is that the virus is just a mutated form of a common cold. It's not. The coronavirus is a large family of viruses, and it does include many different diseases. SARS-CoV-2 does share some similarities with other coronaviruses, four of which can cause the common cold. All five viruses have spiky projections on their surfaces and utilize these so-called spike proteins to infect host cells. However, the four cold viruses, which are named, by the way, 229E, NL63, OC43, and HKU1, all utilize humans as their primary hosts. SARS-CoV-2 shares about 90% of its genetic material with coronaviruses that infect bats which suggests that the virus may have originated in bats and later hopped to humans. This is actually very, very significant. Think about it this way. Humans are the primary host for the common cold, and the cold mutations that allow the cold to sweep around the planet season after season after season are taking place in humans and are already adapted to humans. However, COVID-19 is caused by the SARS-CoV-2, which appears to have come from bats, maybe transitioned with some mutations through an intermediate other animal species, and eventually made the leap to humans. If the mutations that happened that made humans susceptible for it happened before it made the leap to humans, that's really good news, because that's a very difficult thing to happen. It's difficult for viruses to have the type of mutation they need to go from one species to another and be able to infect the second species. So that's what we're hoping for. We're hoping that it doesn't mutate in humans to another form that could disrupt the immunity that people that have had the illness are developing. So it's really good news, actually, that this came from bats. And let's hope it stays with bats from now on. And here is the biggest myth, and it's probably the most troubling. The virus was probably made in a lab. 
and I spent the most time researching this today. There's no evidence to suggest that the virus is man-made. SARS-CoV-2 closely resembles two other coronaviruses that have triggered outbreaks in recent decades, and that would be the SARS-CoV and the MERS-CoV. All three viruses seem to have originated in bats. In short, the characteristics of SARS-CoV-2 fall in line with what we know about other naturally occurring coronaviruses that did make the jump from animals to people. In other words, this looks like we've seen it before, this looks like we're seeing it again. Scientists have compared the genome of the novel coronavirus to seven other coronaviruses known to infect humans. Those are SARS-MERS, SARS-CoV-2, HKU, NL63, OC43, and 229E. And here's kind of the science of it. The spike proteins that protrude from the virus are used to attach to cells and then enter the cells. That's what allows the virus to get into cells, hijack the cell to create more viruses, which I spoke of in a previous episode describing how viruses really aren't alive. They just like to hijack cells to reproduce themselves. The spike proteins that SARS-CoV-2 has, frankly, are just too perfect to have come from genetic engineering. Humans just aren't that good at doing genetic engineering yet, which means it needed to be a naturally occurring mutation for it to happen, because nature is way better at this stuff than we are. Maybe that's a good thing. (laughs) The SARS virus from 2003, which you may recall is Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, It was the closest to the current SARS-CoV-2, which causes a COVID-19 illness. Computer simulations illustrate that the original SARS mutations would result in a virus that's not really that efficient at entering human cells. Genetic engineers would not have started with this virus to create a new one is kind of the takeaway there, because it seemed like it would be a dead end. If they wanted to create a virus that would have been nefariously planned to hurt people around the globe... All the computer simulations said, no, this is not the right virus to choose. They could have chosen something far more destructive. Kind of a scary thought. So based on what we know about the protein structures of SARS-CoV-2, it was not made by humans. And here's a ray of hope. This is not a myth to be rebutted, but a possibility. Again, this is from LiveScience.com. Warmer temperatures and higher humidity could help to slow the spread of the virus. Kasim Bukhari and Yusuf Jamil, both from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, analyzed the global cases of the disease caused by the virus, COVID-19, and found that 90% of the infections occurred in areas that are between 73.4 and 62.6 degrees Fahrenheit. That is 3 to 17 degrees Celsius and with an absolute humidity of 4 to 9 grams per cubic meter. And absolute humidity is defined by how much moisture is in the air regardless of temperature. In countries with an average temperature greater than 64.4 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 18 Celsius, and an absolute humidity that's greater than 9 grams per cubic meter, the number of COVID-19 cases is less than 6% of the global cases. It has to do with the time the virus can stay airborne. When someone coughs or sneezes, the virus travels through the air in a tiny water droplet. And these droplets are much heavier than the viruses themselves, so they fall to the ground relatively quickly. This is where the six-foot rule came from. Have that distance so that the droplets can go down instead of to another person. But in low humidity, that water can evaporate more quickly, 
and that allows the much lighter virus then to stay airborne longer, which is a bad thing. We want them to rain out to the ground, not float around in the air. So summer humidity will reduce the evaporation rates, which keeps the viruses in the water droplet longer, so the viruses stay airborne for a shorter period of time. Now, I do question the study slightly, as it's based on locations where there were and were not outbreaks. While I don't doubt their numbers, if the warm weather outbreaks are lagging behind the cold weather outbreaks due to other factors besides temperature and humidity, for instance, perhaps these were countries that didn't have as much air and boat travel to deliver the virus to them, so they lagged behind the rest of the world, then these findings might have to be adjusted. And we are seeing the cases picking up in Africa and other tropical areas now, so I don't know. Let's wait and see. But we have hope. The summer temperatures and humidity could actually help slow the spread of the virus. So bring it on. I'm ready for summer anyway. I'd like to end with this. Visualize for a moment with me warm summer temperatures, people being healthy again, people being able to return to their workplaces, businesses reopening. We are still dealing with coronavirus, but we have, as a society, learned to manage it. And so we are returning to the new normal in the bright sunshine and the fresh air with smiles for all of our neighbors and friends. That day is coming soon, so look forward to that. Thank you for listening to Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope. I am Kurt Linville, and our shows are produced by Caleb Linville. <laughs>